Welcome to the party, pals. I'm Phil Gawthorne, action movie screenwriter. And I'm Liam Billingham, movie podcaster. And together we host Die Hard on a Blank, a podcast from Sugar23 that explores the influence of Die Hard on action cinema. In each episode, we'll talk about one major action movie that was released after Die Hard. Now, some of these movies take place on a bus. On a boat. Or even a roadhouse. Uh, sure. The point is, these are action movies that couldn't exist without Die Hard, and its DNA is everywhere. Die Hard on a Blank is a celebration of action movies and a deep dive into the ways that Die Hard shaped the action genre. So if you're a casual fan or an action movie Die Hard. Ooh, very nice. Then Die Hard on a Blank is for you. Yes, you personally. Our first two episodes, which are all about the original 1988 masterpiece Die Hard, drop December 21st, because Die Hard is a Christmas movie, wherever you get your podcasts. Phil, do the line. Now we have a podcast. (laughs) Ho, ho, ho. I'm Liam Billingham. I'm George Fragopoulos. And this is Uber Busters. Whoa! Whoa. A very... I went... And quick introduction. It was really fast. Um, yeah, I... I, I you are just ooh. feeling it, right? How are you doing? How's, how, are, how are you doing, George? Good. What's happening? What's, what's new and exciting in 2020? I've, I think I've decided to become a surfer. A what? A surfer. Like to surf? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not I like think... online, which I'm, I already do way too much of. I mean, like... Yeah, God. Get out and get those waves, Is bro. this your new, like, 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 like... I moved to California and you become a I surfer? Know. That, that was just... Are you going to buy a surfboard? I probably am at some point, yeah. I'll pro- oh, my God. You bought a guitar this year. You can't You can't have two white dude <laughs> midlife crises <laughs> issues in this in 20... This is not the year for this. I was just thinking about that, too. I was like, oh, well, is this part of my, my um, midlife crisis... And if it is, it's definitely safer than uh, getting a Ducati and um, just okay. dying on the BQE. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pitch you though. Here's okay. So you're in a bar when those things exist again, and some girl's like, "So you're a professor, huh? Mm-hmm. What do you do for fun?" You're gonna say the following three things. You're gonna say, "Well, <laughs> I, 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 I play guitar. I play guitar. Um, I recently took up surfing, and I host a movie podcast <laughs> with left-leaning political views. Bitch, that girl's leaving. <laughs> I'm the whitest. That girl is out of there. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm the whitest man. I am the whitest <laughs> man that ever lived. We're 30 seconds in, and we got a Weezer uh, reference. It's amazing. Like, it's going so well. It's going so well. What was I going to say? Just quick. All right, let's. Um, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I would also, uh, I'd lead with poetry, I think. Top three things. Oh, that's right. You are a poet. Yeah. But chicks don't dig that anymore. Uh, chicks. Dude. Jesus Christ. Chicks don't Women do <laughs> don't dig that anymore. <laughs> Apologies. So Liam. Uh, I do listen to I do listen to Weezer, so I might have some retrograde politi- uh sexual politics. Did that new uh, album come out? Uh no, they delayed it. Bo- Van Weezer. Boo. I'm bummed. I'm bummed. Hang on, let me just turn off the thing so I can't see my face. <laughs> Hide self view. Best thing about Zoom. Um so George. Yes. What do you? What a dramatic what pause. Do you do? I'm just grabbing my oh, water. So, so George. So Liam. Uh, what are we? What are we here to talk about? I don't have a good transition for this. So, what are we? What are we here to talk about? <laughs> what are we here to do? So Liam, we're here to discuss 1950s scandal. Shubun in Japanese yeah. from 1950. Exactly. You said that already. I did say that. Let's already. do it again. So George, what are we here to discuss? <laughs> we're here to discuss 
19, uh, scandal from the year 1950. Shubun, I believe, is the Japanese pronunciation. By the way, I, I, I'm trying not to butcher these, but if I do... I apologize. Yeah, the same here I'm, with the names. I'm trying not to. Totally. It's hard. Uh, yeah, Scandal. Uh, George, what, what's going on in Scandal? Right, what happens in, in Scandal? Well, Liam, Scandal tells the story of Ichiru, um, Ichiro Aoi, a painter, becomes embroiled in a scandalous situation, hence the title, when he is seen <gasps> uh, kind of in private at a hotel with an actress by the name of uh, Miyoki Seijo. Uh, Miyako Saijo. Yeah, a photograph of the two is published in a like um, a scandal rag or like a rag by the name of Amour, of course. Um, Amour. Can you say it again with a French accent? Amour. Um, oh. And yeah, basically they run a story on her because she kind of refuses to kind of uh, play ball with them because she's an actress and she won't give them an interview, I believe. She's a singer. She's a singer. Oh, she's a singer. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. So basically, um, he becomes in, embroiled, Ichiro becomes embroiled in this scandal. He decides to sue the magazine. At some point, he's approached by a uh, down-in-his-luck lawyer by the name of Hirota. Um, and Hirota basically says to Ichiro that he hates the tabloids as much as he does and that he's basically taking on his case as a kind of like um, like vengeance or like personal animosity. Uh, later on in the film, we find out that um, Hirota has a daughter who's suffering from tuberculosis. He is then approached by Amor um, and bribed to throw the lawsuit case in court um, because he desperately needs the money for his sick daughter. At the very end of the movie, uh, Hirota decides in court to do the honest thing, and he confesses that he was bribed by the court. Uh, or by, sorry, by Amor, and basically the um, the defendants, Ichiro and Miyoki, win the case, and everybody lives happily ever after at the end. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 scandal. Uh, it was directed by Akira Kurosawa. It was his tenth film. It was produced by Takashi Ko- Koide. It was written by Akira Kurosawa and Ryozu Kikushima, starring Toshiro Mifune as AOA. Takashi Shimura as Otokichi Hiruta, uh, the classic uh, Noriko Sengoku as Sumi, Itaro Ozawa as Hori, the publisher of the of Amor, and um, Shirley Yamaguchi as Miyako Miyako Saijo. Uh, we're not going to get into it here, but Shirley Yamaguchi is an actress worth reading about. Really? She had an amazing, amazing life. Like she's only an actress for a certain amount of years, mm-hmm. and then she moved on to like being involved in politics, like really, really interesting. She's sort of covered a little bit in our friend Stuart Galbraith's book, wow. The Emperor and the Wolf. Um, the music by was f- music in the movie is by Fumio Hayazaka. And um, it, I think the music is great in this movie. I thought I, that really stuck out to me. So I wanted to highlight that. George, what did you think of the movie? I was not a huge fan of this, uh, in all honesty. Um, the first hour or so really captivated me. And in all, in all honesty, once the lawyer Hirota shows up that's when the film kind of lost me because at that point it fell into this really kind of melodramatic tone that did not uh work for me and you actually put something in the notes that I was also thinking about I was like oh yes this film make really really reminds me of this other particular kind of director's films and we could talk about that but yeah, I was like, this feels like very maudlin and very melodramatic for Kurosawa. Like he's very, um, I think, right. like leaning into those um, just kind of like tropes. 
in a really kind of over- the melodramatic tropes. Yeah, in a really kind of powerful way that I was just like not feeling it. I hear you. I like this movie a lot, actually. At times, I find it like overwhelming how much I feel like it achieves. That being said, I think it's like kind of a flawed i think it's a kind of a flawed movie in emperor and the wolf uh stewart's book he talks about how this kurosawa was criticized for being the most western of japanese directors Mm, which i don't think is a um i don't think that's something that like kurosawa loved about the reputation he held but like this is his westernization big swing i feel like this movie yes and one thing that I noticed, uh, let's just get it. Like, I think you, you thought the same thing. There's a moment midway through the film, a, 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 a section of this film takes place at Christmas. Yeah. And in the sequence that we're describing, there is a moment when uh, Hiruta, played by Takashi Shimura, and AOA, by, played by Mifune, go out drinking. And they get very drunk in a bar and everyone starts to sing like there's this really, really, I thought, powerful moment where these two old drunks are like, we've all, you know, we're all going to do better (laughs) next year. And it's like very, it it felt weirdly like, it weirdly felt like, well, this year is lost, but next year will be better, which like kind of hit me uh, for a 2020 level. But um, it then cuts to a long, exaggerated shot of the stars Mm -hmm. with Mifune and Shimura Heruta and AOA talking to each other. And I was like, is this an It's a Wonderful Life reference? It definitely feels that way. Did you also mention that there's that like that scene where they're like singing? Sorry, if you mentioned that. You said they went to the party yeah, and, they, and they're like they're singing. singing at the Christmas party. Yeah, and that scene, the, the scene with the stars worked really, really well for me. The scene of them yeah, singing felt like, again, like really just kind of like melodramatic and maudlin like over the top. Oh, that's so funny. I thought it really worked because I everyone could actually sing. Yeah. I like was like taken in by the harmonies of it. I also think that like one thing that I love about Kurosawa is his ability to make scenes like that work. Like mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a great like scene, but he can pull that off. Like he's a, one of the few directors where like people breaking into song doesn't feel like a complete like ugh. You know what I mean? Like like it's not a musical, but the feeling is so affecting and so like it's so effective there's times when you can really feel the like shakespearean influence on kurosawa Mm. and in this movie in particular like two examples are just like scenes with crowds or scenes like in the amore the the shitty scandal rag company where people are talking um about what's going on and it feels like that first scene in Julius Caesar when you have like two citizens talking to each other it's like the the Greek chorus right and this moment where they're singing feels like that too it kind of worked on me wow yeah I mean I geez I mean the, in all honesty those seem like stretches to me in terms of those kind of comparisons especially I guess within this film I don't know it just like I, I was so into so the opening scene where he's like on the yes. when his character is like on the mountain and he's painting and there's some great like comedy there as well because he's like painting the mountain and, yeah. and like people are looking over his shoulder and like what are you painting and he's like oh the mountain and somebody's like oh it looks like it's moving in your painting and he's like well yeah like the mountains move and they, they, like they pause and they look over to the mountain and they look back and like the mountains move and he's like yeah if you look at them in a certain way i don't know i was just like so taken by that character immediately and like he rides yes he rides the motorcycle he rides the motorcycle He's so cool. It's like a great, yeah. cool Mifune. Yeah, that opening scene is one of my favorite scenes from any Kurosawa it's movie. It's yeah, Because it's so human. Yeah. It's And it's like simple. And like, it's actually kind of a profound scene about 
an artist's relationship with like the people around them and this like 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 an artist being in a place capturing something with like the locals standing there like sure it's a little comedic but like no it's beautiful just the, it's just the fact that he's like yeah don't the, like, the mountains move and they're sort of standing there and they're look it's yeah it's just a really really um it's like a humanist very humanist scene very natural scene yeah no it's an amazing scene and also um it's all it, the, like the motorcycle also becomes and his art too right there's like these in these allusions to his art being like too western and at some point he says something about like the fact that he he no longer draws nudes because like i forget what it is like, he's basically says like, japan oh, might not really be ready be for ready it, for or it. yeah like that. so it's interesting to kind of think about what you just said about like kurosawa being um annoyed at like perceptions of him as being like a westernized director and here i guess what i'm trying to say is like uh, that mifune's character in this can be a stand-in for kurosawa in a variety of ways in particular let's say about him like commenting back on like all of his critics as far as him being like too westernized or too modern even because the motorcycle becomes a symbol of this kind of modern like individuality that Mifune's character kind of possesses. I don't give a fuck yeah. kind of mentality. Yeah, but I think he specifically says that, right? They'd be asking about the motorcycle and he's like, oh, it's like this cool thing that I like I have. Like it becomes this fetishized object, but it also kind of speaks to his iconoclast like status in the society. Totally. You know, this, like to speak to that a little bit, one thing that when you, when you read the quote for, um, why Mufune wanted to make this film, um, in the, in this book, the films of Kira Kurosawa by Donald Ritchie, he says, scandal was described by Kurosawa himself as a protest film about the rise of the press in Japan and its habitual confusion of freedom with license. Personal privacy is never respected and the scandal sheets are the worst offenders, which, makes the film feel a little quaint to me like oh look at these like there's something i mean granted it's you know what 70 years old right but this idea of like this this quaint idea of him being like angry about tabloid which we've all just come to accept tabloids as like part of our lives right our fucking president is a tabloid guy like it's just kind of part of our so it doesn't you know it's obviously it's obviously still timely but it feels remarkably quaint um but yeah, it definitely feels like a melodrama and I, it feels like a couple different movies. The first hour feels like it's about the scandal. The second Shimura shows up, which Shimura, Takashi Shimura as, um, as Hiratu. he, 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 Hiruta. Hiruta, Hiruta is like, it's a very different performance than he's given in any of the other movies, mm-hmm. but he kind of, he kind of takes over the movie yeah. and the second half is this like, would you say it's like a morality play yeah. about like what the right decision to make is a, like about his balancing, like his family and his legal responsibility, his legal responsibilities mixed with his like need to make money. Well, that, I, I, yeah, that's what, yeah. that's when it becomes a Capra film and when it stops being like a Kurosawa film. And yeah, 100%. It's like it's like two different movies. Yeah, and again, I was just more interested in like the story of these two artists who are who find themselves, you know, as kind of pawns in this really cynical media play and kind of what happens to them and the potential for that story as a commentary about like the modern artist and society. So that that's what I was like looking forward to. I was like, "Oh, the first 45 minutes of this film are fucking great. You're getting Mifuni doing like Mifuni shit. You're getting um, this, uh, this other um, Shirley, this, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Shirley was a Yamaguchi. Was it the actress? 
yeah, doing like amazing work as well. She's also an artist. And they're like these powerful roles and performances. And then, and I love him as an actor, but Shimura's character shows up and I'm like, I'm now che- I'm checking out now. And that's the other time it becomes like a Capra thing too. It's, it's about like this, yes, it becomes this morality play about like good people who are thrust in like really difficult situations and then they have to decide what the right thing to do is. And it leads in this like very like melodramatic final courtroom scene. I'm like, fuck that. Is this kind of a reactionary movie? Ooh. The reason You're not that I say, to say that, that is, word. That's my word. I, I said it. <laughs> I took it. The reason that I say that is because at the beginning of the movie, you have this character who's you have these two people, this like artist who like kind of a little bit makes fun of these like country bumpkin types a little Mm -hmm. bit and he rides a motorcycle and he's just like gone by himself to check into this like spa and this woman shows up and she's a singer and they're kind of like media-ish figures who just kind of want to have a normal life and they get caught up in this like scandal thing but like what it takes to save them is this like old doddering dude who's like from a different time in japan like what what we need to do is like like uh, focus on the morality of this like old dude who kind of is terrible at his job but like and ultimately the fact that it shifts focus and ends up being about him the least interesting thing to me in this movie is the bribe it's so uninteresting mm-hmm. because it makes it about like a less interesting thing it makes it very very kind of like classic yet like you said cap capra like we suddenly have to deal with a morality play where when it feels very reactionary to shift the focus to this like 50 again it's crazy shimura was probably 44 when they made this right, movie right, but right. he looks 60 he looks really old, but to yeah. shift the focus to this like old dude and i also think it's a little reactionary because it's like kurosawa being like oh what happened to personal privacy not that that's a bad thing necessarily but the idea of like it feels like the first movie he's made where i feel like his finger is in my face like you shouldn't do this yeah it's yeah yeah. Bad. yeah it's very didactic no super didactic I, I, but, I, but the only problem with that is that i the way i see it is it's kind of like two different competing versions of the modern world so that mifuni's character again is this very modern artist who is mm-hmm. kind of doing things, for example, like in his artwork that is not like understood, I put that obviously in quotation marks, like in his cultural milieu because he's borrowed like either from like Western sources or because he's a very like modern contemporary kind of person. And the cynicism of like the tabloid industry, which is just about, again, producing scandalous headlines. And making money and, and not being truthful. Yeah. Like the whole idea of being an artist it's, is to like express right. the truth. And yes. And they're just like cynics. Because I also think like the doddering old like down on his luck lawyer is not. I mean, yeah, he like saves him at the end because he confesses his own like moral failings. But he's also like a total fuck up. You can't watch this movie and be like, oh, I'd rather be the old timey, let's say, like lawyer rather than like the young, sexy artist guy who's like really just completely standing up for himself and this other woman right like he's clearly like the hero at least for the first half like there's nothing about like Mifune's character that is reprehensible he's like just doing he's just himself you know he's like he's like a good guy through and through i actually really love this performance and i feel like he's barely in the movie after a certain mm-hmm. point it becomes this like you know battle of the soul for Otok- uh, otokichi hiruta and suddenly Mifune's character 
disappears to the background. But I feel like this is a return to some of his like more subtle work. Whereas like in Stray Dog, he's very intense all the time. Mm, like yeah. he's a little, I took a, um, an acting class in college with this really great teacher. And um, he once said like, Hey, you know, when you're acting, sometimes you give a little too much, like a little bit too much, like, Hey asshole, as opposed to don't fuck with me, like <laughs> confidence over like, like he really said that to me. I think he was like, you're trying, essentially you're trying too hard. Yeah. And like the stray dog performance is one where it, the guy's name was Tom Nellis. He's a great actor, Tom Nellis, but the Mifune character in this in stray dog is a lean forward kind of guy mm. he's always trying to like figure stuff out whereas his character in this film is a little more back on his heels but still in control like it's a completely different performance confidence yes. wise you know um he's very quiet mm-hmm. he never raises his voice at a certain point he punches hori the publisher in the face which is really a great sequence but he almost is so subtle in this movie that he like disappears until the end when he gives a speech Yes, and I, but I also love that moment too. Later on, it's a very weird one, right? Where he like revs up the motorcycle indoors. And yeah, because he doesn't want to listen to anyone talking. Yeah, and it becomes this like, but it also becomes like a representation. I think obviously of like his own angst and like, um, like suffering, right? Like he wants to kind of like yell and express himself, but he can't, so he just kind of like revs the engine. Um, right, that's really interesting. So it becomes like an interesting kind of like representation of like yes, this like inner angst that he can't kind of express but no you're right it's a very much a more passive introspective kind of role which i mean is obviously fitting right like the cliche let's say of like the artist who's always like looking inward uh, rather than outward so i mean i think it fits it's also interesting to think about it as an um auto um mifune is like a autobiographical kurosawa using him as an autobiographical character because kurosawa began as a painter which you can ah, tell like in the way know. he shoots things but he was a painter early on i think he painted even like while making films as like a hobby yeah um yeah it feels to me like the movie is flawed because we spend time with much more interesting characters and then the shimura stuff feels a little bit rote but we should also mention there's a couple interesting outside of um, outside of the movie stuff going on. So Mifune got married pretty soon before this film started to shoot. Oh, con- and congrats to him. He, congrats to Mifune. <laughs> and he um, he like at that point was making quite a bit of money. And so they moved and they moved. He and his wife moved very close to Shimura. Oh. Like, and they were and like they were so close that for reasons that are that are described in Emperor and the Wolf the invitations for the wedding, like the, the reply cards that Mifune and his fiance sent out went to Shimura's house. Like they were that level of close, right. which I, I just think is really, really interesting. And they'd work together so much, but it was kind of like a father son yeah, relationship, yeah. which is interesting. And in that, that, that is not at all paralleled in this movie. Like there's no, in the way that like Shimura is like patriarchal in other movies. He's not, he's not much of a, of a father figure in this movie. Well, he actually sucks at dadding in this no. movie. He's like a bad dad. He, well, yeah. I mean, he's, he's not a father figure in the sense that he's not like an alpha father, but he, right. he's an, he's a father figure though, in the sense that he like nearly sacrifices like his friendship or his potential love for th- this other man. Um, right. To like save his daughter. So there's clearly something of like him being like a patriarchal figure. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, he's not like, yeah, he's not like, um, I don't know. He's not like the uh, the dad from Chinatown. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> he's not that. Yikes, he's not that kind of dad. 
Um, yeah, he's definitely doesn't have the like warmth. It's a really different Shimura performance. This one, it's a lot more like edgy. It's a lot more like, um, he's doing a lot more performative ticks kind of things. Mm-hmm. It's a really bad comparison, but I just thought about like the energy he has is it, it a little bit made me think about Howard Ratner and uncut gems, uh-huh. not in the like details of it, but in the leaning into like being really intense and having a goal and like lean, like going for it all the time. Like he, he really does that, especially in his first scene when he peers in the window. Yeah. At, um, Mifune, drawing pictures of Noriku Sengoku who plays Sumi and I really like that they've developed this relation like their Noriko Sengoku and Toshiro Mifune's relationship in all these films has a kind of similarity they're like on equal footing and they kind of like yeah. this one they're kind of like buddies and they like go drinking together yeah. and like eat pastries together and I, I really like those scenes they feel very progressive that this woman in his life who's like his his like life model is or his artist model is like telling him what to do and like being like, yo, pay me. I'll do it for you. Yeah. I think that's a really fascinating. I want that movie. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to spend more time in Mifuni's world. It's interesting though too, because, and we're not going to do it right. Cause Mifuni's not in, in it, but I was thinking of Shimura's performance here and what he would do only a few years after the here in um, Ikaru, which I've not, Oh yeah. yeah Ikaru, which I've not seen actually. And I'm actually want to see it, but I was like, Oh, this seems like it's a preamble perhaps to that movie about like this again this kind of like marginalized person um who has to basically like kind of contend with his uh conditions right like just place in the world in this kind of very stark way okay so i think we kind of agree there's interesting things about the movie but it doesn't ultimately work i mean for me it didn't i mean which is fine i mean if you liked it which is great i mean you're wrong but it's fine if you liked it it's fine it's fine if you liked it, you fucking idiot. <laughs> you, fuck, you, you fucking idiot. No, I liked it. I mean, I totally see your point. I think it's like a weird, weirdly um, bisected movie. But there are a couple things that I thought would be interesting to talk about a little bit. I in mean, terms we haven't of already like, talked about interesting things. No, it's been really boring <laughs> up to this point. Everyone boring. fast forward to this point. It's fast forward to this point. <laughs> um, so there's a couple things that are really interesting. You mentioned the bike. Uh-huh. Um, Mifune's motorcycle as this like extension of his personality a little bit mm-hmm. I, which I think is like really really interesting we were talking a little bit about like that element and what it represents to him as a character and I, I there's a scene in this film early on where Mifune as decides to sue more the publishing company and there are some really great montages in this movie i think this movie capitalizes on the montages from stray dog and does like really interesting things in a much more condensed amount of time in terms of like showing the influence of like scandal magazines on people etc etc but there's a montage where it cuts it keeps going between hori being interviewed and aoa being interviewed and they both have cigarettes (laughs) yeah oh yeah yeah very good yeah and i kept thinking that reminded me a lot of like the idea of the brechtian jest huh. do you know what that is well go, go on it's like the salt let's see what is it the alienation effect that thing well so it's yeah well it's a little bit that it's like the idea of it's like an acting technique so the idea of it's like a physical gesture mm-hmm. that expresses a an attitude or a single aspect of an attitude so like as opposed to being like overly psychological an actor would do something that reveal something about their Mm. character in a gesture or a moment so it's not psychologized right right and the way these two guys are handling their cigarettes as a way to like this movie is about image and perception of image uh, to some extent especially in the first hour and to watch these two guys be like super cool with their cigarettes is such a like 
Crusoe was really smart and he knew exactly kind of like how to express all these ideas and like the simplest kind of terms and it feels the same thing with the motorcycle where he explains like the motorcycle is my way of being an asshole Mm -hmm. like not being an asshole but like being carefree whatever and so when he revs it later in the movie it's like a strong example of him like trying to break free from the situation he's in without question yeah yeah Um, I was thinking a lot about that yeah, no, I mean, I think that's that's perfect. Yeah, I mean, I think that... It, it, thank you. <laughs> thank you. So we've mentioned Brecht, um, so we could check that off of uh, for this episode as yeah, well. Yeah, let me just, hang on, let me just add yeah. that pretentious. So, okay, so you surf, Have we, and you... Surf, is surfing pretentious? Write poetry. Thing? I mean, poetry you, is pretentious. Talking about surfing is, is pretentious. <laughs> for sure, talking about surfing is pretentious. You think so, because it's it's like this thing that most people don't know how to do and it's like well, I don't it's like it's like it well. mindfulness stuff it's like oh, well, yeah, yeah but of course i'm not i'm not accusing you of being pretentious yeah. i'm just saying that like it has I that mean, way of being like you can oh it, i did this thing like you should just like sit in a room with a bunch of news media and a cigarette and be like mm, fuck. Yes, i mean i've mm, definitely thought about surfing. taking up smoking because it's if it like looks cool now if there was ever a time to take out to do damage to your respiratory system oh, by God. your own choice now is it i mean we should be um, honest yeah, talking- smoking is cool speaking of smoking and looking cool so, we haven't yes. we haven't discussed at least for me what the the elephant in the room is that this film also really reminded me of la dolce vita Oh, I've never yeah. seen that movie. You shut the fuck I'm, up. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I've absolutely seen Little TV. It was a joke. <laughs> yeah, I saw it at Film Forum. I saw it at Film Forum when I lived in New York City. I saw the, with, I, I've watched it once at home and once at Film once, once at Film Forum. I saw it with our, with our uh, friend Fennis, actually. Oh, nice. Oh, wait, no, sorry um, about that. Did oh, he, did he talk? Te- no, sorry. I didn't see it with Fennis. What I saw with Fennis was that, like, um, that film that came out like four or five years ago that was like a ripoff of La Dolce Vita. Uh, the Great Beauty? Yes, The Great Beauty, which I also love. Oh, I didn't actually see The Great Beauty. I should watch it. The Great Beauty's great. But what it's, are they doing in Italy? What are we doing? It's, it's making the same movies every 30 years. Just make superhero movies every three. I know. That's what, what I suggest. Fuck? Yeah, <laughs> I want to see Fellini make a Spider-Man movie. I mean, obviously that oh can't happen because he's dead. <laughs> Spider-Man? No, he's still alive. Rip, rip, he's fine. Rip to a real one. Um, yeah, no. This. I mean, I was like, oh, this is like... I was like, I would not have been surprised if like Fellini saw this and was like, I wonder what the story would be like if it was told from the perspective of the paparazzo or the obviously the guy writing for the scandal rag. Which, by the way, Itaru Ozawa as Hori, it's a great performance. He's so good mm-hmm. in this movie. He's like not given a ton of time, really effective. Kind of, there's a, a scene towards the end when it when it becomes clear that. Um, that uh, Hiruta is going to betray him and, and reveal that he bribed him. And he has this look on his face where it's like, it's so it's, it's borderline one dimensional, but it's such a good performance. And I thought it was, it was really, really great. Um, The other thing that I I think saves this movie, and this could totally be a projection. Well, let's see. We've talked about surfing. We've talked about guitars. We've talked about Fellini, Brecht, Fellini, Brecht. What about, Foucault. Ooh, yeah, I saw that in the notes, and, the, and I'm like, what are you talking? Oh, but we also mentioned Shakespeare. <laughs> we did. Oh, so we're so good on this one. <laughs> so the reason I mentioned it is because uh, there's a great there's a great podcast called Philosophize This. Have you ever listened to it? Ah, uh, I think maybe I have, but it's been a while. Yeah, it's really good. It's just one guy with a microphone talking about philosophy, and I I listen to it. And every pretty like I will listen to episodes in order to get context mm-hmm. for something that I want to read. And I've been listening, reading, listening. I've been listening to the section on um, postmodernism. Right. And Foucault. And the Foucault. And it, it, 
it, it sort of inspired me to read um, Discipline and Punish, which I'm reading very slowly I'm a, right now. I'm a fan of both, by the way. That book is hard to read. Both what? Both Discipline and Punish. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've got, you've got that Punisher t-shirt on. Um, <laughs> With the Blue Lives Matter like, stripe. The yeah. idea of... The, the idea... And this isn't... I haven't gotten to this part of the book yet, but epistemies being this idea of like systems of... In like a very simple terms, this movie makes me think a little bit about the intersection between like a modern media culture and a pre-media culture yeah. and the idea of like suddenly things that would not have been acceptable before tabloids western westernization right or like the influence of america post world war ii suddenly become acceptable and how otokichi hiruta shimura's part like can't keep up with that like it feels like this movie is about like again this thing that that um but what is it sorry but what is it about the character that he can't keep i mean i don't understand like what tension is in society that he's like oh i can't deal with this because it's too western he just seems like he's just a fuck up it's yeah so well he's a fuck up but then there's the question of like it's not that i don't i don't know that western western is one way to read it i wonder if part of it is that he's like the level of the 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 degree to which like the press will debase people or the scandal rags Mm -hmm. will debase people almost seems like like i don't think he expects to get bribes there's the scene where he comes home very drunk to his daughter and he's like oh this guy is soulless i can't keep up with it he gets like he a little bit gets crushed by this like incessant need for profit right. and money. And this is a guy who's like a local lawyer. He has his office is on like the top floor of a, of a building. It's all, it reminded me a little bit of um, what's the film one on the waterfront, the pigeons and on the waterfront, like this like oh, top floor is the right, top right. office. Like he's just, he's kind of like a country lawyer who's just been thrust in this situation because He's both high-minded and needs money. Now I'm no big time gets, city lawyer, but, uh, but um, this this rag of more here is doing so something wrong. So it just wrong. felt like it. It is a movie that takes like I don't know. If I maybe I'm full of shit when I say epistemy, but it takes this like cl- culture clash of like modern and, and yes, yeah, older cultural values, and we watch them in transition. Sure, but the but the again the. To complicate it is Mufuni's character. Like that's where I think like Kurosawa is basically saying, in the sense that there's certain aspects of this, let's say, modern culture, like the tabloid rags, which are horrible and are cynical, and are the worst aspects of them. But yes, but on the other hand, you have like the true artist, like Mufuni, who is a perfect blend of like both times, both cultures, and can kind of do both, and he's. Right, not in any sort of way like debased by it. He, if anything, he's he's that much more heroic because of it. That's interesting. I mean, I think that's one hundred percent true. But again, it's not. It ultimately ends up not being his movie. Oh no! But I mean, that what does that mean? Like, like you know. Well, it's something we've talked about before, which is like, what ultimately is this movie saying? That's a good thing to talk about a little bit, like in terms of analyzing this. Like, what do you think the takeaway from this movie is? I think the takeaway from this movie is again that there are certain aspects of modern. So I think this is where you're right in terms of like the epistemes or like thinking about, let's say, the fact that like modern media constructs or makes possible the tabloid rag, and one of the things that the tabloid rag is all about is about cynicism exploitation and scandalous gossip 
under the guise of modern psychology. There's a great scene where this guy's like, oh, one of his friends is like, oh, the painting's a masterpiece. He must have been in love when oh, he was yes. in those mountains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the narrativizing that goes on in that moment is so fascinating. Yeah, it is. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. Under the guise of modern psychology. Of course. Yeah. They're mm. Not modern. I'm sorry. Not modern psychology. That's the wrong term. Under the guise of like a cheap kind of cause and effect relationship rooted in like weird... I don't even know the scan like like the non-truths. It's it's rooted in like the not truth. It's rooted on taking two things that maybe have no relationship and creating the corollary between them. Sure. Yes. Yeah. But again, on the other hand, um, yes. Again, like the the film is saying that there are potentially. I mean, heroic might be the wrong word, but there are let's say beautiful things or potentially revelatory things about modern society, like the fact that one can be a modern artist and can paint things in a certain kind of way with a certain kind of vision that is not in any sort of way traditional. Um, and that's great, and that's powerful, and that's beautiful. Yeah. And that, that the modern world tries to debase that. Do you think this movie is a little bit then following in the themes of some of... It seems like you've brought up in the past that there's a, a spiritual quality to Kurosawa's work and that it's he makes films about, like let's say, maintaining your spirituality in like a broken world mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. Is this movie kind of about ways to live? Yes, sure. Yeah, totally. But I also think, again, it, when it's far too didactic and heavy-handed, and that's why, for me, it like mm. fails um, and become, becomes like really highly melodramatic. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's a really fascinating object of its time. Totally. Yeah, without question. Um, and interestingly, so the movie that comes after this one is... Rashomon. Can't wait. Which is a pretty postmodern movie. It is, yeah. Um, and this uh, Scandal and Rashomon, a Scandal is, no one remembers Scandal. Like Scandal, when we were planning the season, I was like, what's Scandal? Scandal. <laughs> I'd never seen it. Um, but it ranked on the list, one of these lists in Japan, best movies in 1950. It ranked in this, it tied with Rashomon. You mean like oh for the nineteen like in terms of like this is the sixth bet the sixth best movie of the, of the year is Scandal uh-huh. and Rashomon no of the oh, year of the year sorry sorry like it was taken this movie was like pretty well received mm-hmm. um yeah it, you know it's a question we're gonna need to explore this and find someone to explore it with but the degree to which like Kurosawa was and is perceived as a Western director and like it feels like he has some complicated feelings about that without that question. you can see in this yeah. film a little bit. No doubt. Um, and I'll, I guess also the question, like, to what extent is, like, the westernization in this movie a kind of globalization? Um, or not in this movie, in his work in general. Well, I mean, if you think of... But I that's mean, a big... If you just mean globalization by, like, the homogenization of cultures across the world that's spearheaded by, like, Western capital, then yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But it's an interesting tension in terms of when these... One thing you're... Where, that one thing that's becoming increasingly clear in watching these movies is the post world war two tension between, let's say in the world and specifically in like the way cultures are portrayed in the Mm -hmm. movies and drawing there. That seems to be like a principle, at least in these early movies, I feel like that's a little bit of a principle concern of Akira Kurosawa. Well, that's what I think again with this when this film is for me at its most interesting is when it becomes like a meta commentary uh, of Kurosawa um, again, working through his own relationship with his own kind of cultural milieu. Ooh. Yeah. 
I like that's that. right. I said cultural that's, milieu. That's, milieu. Everybody, so so George, what's your podcast about? Well, we talk about surfing, cultural Brecht. milieu, Foucault, Brecht, yeah, other dead dudes. You're the one that mentioned Fukizi. Who's Fukizi? Foucault. That's what we call him in the in the biz. Call him Fukizi. You absolutely do not. We do. Yeah, I've I've, I've published. Who calls him that? Uh, Name three people Mar- who call him that. Martin J. Oh, cool. Okay. Uh, do you Have you ever noticed that <laughs> every every Stanley every, Cavell, uh, uh, rest in peace. Every critical theorist and Edward Said. Uh, decided to get Martin Jay's glasses. They all have those like skinny. They all got them. They're kind of like the ones I'm wearing, but I didn't study critical theory. Uh, do you think people have tuned out yet? Because I have. I mean, yeah, I, I don't have. even know. What we're we should about. we should reach out to Marty J and be like, hey, Marty. What do you think about? Do you want to come on our podcast to talk about Fukizi? Is he a hundred years old? He is. Yeah, I th- yeah, he's definitely. Uh, well, Martin J, get your dialectical imagination together and get on this podcast. We know you. We know you're listening. Is that the name of the book? Dialectical imagination. So I literally bought a copy of that book in Greece. Uh-huh. In some. In Greek. In Greece. It was in a, Greece. Yeah. In Greek, though, was it? No, in no, Greek no. Or was it in English? In English. Could you fucking imagine reading that book in another language that's, that's I, I mean, this is I went, comparatively I your went, second language? There's this really beautiful bookstore in Sandorini, and I walked in there, and I bought it. I pulled it off, and, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm going to read this. And I'm like, I brought it to the shelf, to the, you know, to the cashier, and the guy looks at it, and he's like, he's like, nerd alert. And I'm like, dude, just fucking ring me up. I'm like, I just Are want, you serious? Yeah. I'm like, just, just ring me up. You're in a bookstore. I know. Who does this guy think he is? <laughs> I was like, you're shitting on you me. You know what? You're shitting on me. Martin J., you're invited to the podcast. This fucking bookseller yeah, is not. Uh, it's like, you're shitting on me because I'm going to read. I mean, like, it is weird beach reading for sure. Um, but Let's it's a, dox this guy. But it's a great book. You should also read the dialogue. I tried to read. I tried to read. Thus spake Zarathustra on the beach. Nice. And I remember sitting there, and my sister was like, "You're a fucking weirdo. <laughs> like, what are you doing? It's like August on Cape Cod, and you're reading Thus spake Zarathustra." Did you ever see that picture? Uh, didn't get through it. Didn't get through it. To be honest, did you ever see that picture of like Adorno in like his bathing suit on the beach? <laughs> it's really kind of I funny. no, but I bet it's hot. It's I bet it's real hot. Super hot. Yeah, a failed movie, but an interesting movie. And we're about to kind of enter into the, like, golden age of mm. their collaborations with things like... Next up, we have Rashomon, and then we're going to talk about... I guess we're going to talk about The Idiot, but which is a lesser known, but uh, we're going to then have Seven Samurai, Throne of Blood. Like, it's about it's, to get... It's about to get litty up in here. Can't fucking wait. And, um, and it's going to be interesting to look back at these movies. I really enjoyed them. I, I have to say that I probably think the best one that we've seen so far is Stray Dog. But I mm. like Scandal quite a bit, too. Yeah, I guess it, uh, Stray Dog. Um, what was the previous film we did that I really... Uh, Drunken Angel. Oh, yeah. I love Drunken Angel. Drunken Angel was real good. Yeah. They're all good. There's not a bad movie in this in this entire pack. Some are better than others, but... They kind of they're kn- all pretty good. They knew what they were doing. They, yeah, it seems like he knew what he was doing. Next up on the show, Rashomon with Alyssa Wilkinson. Yay! From Vox, who's going to come talk to us about it. Um, I'm very, very excited. She recently saw this film for the first time, so she picked it. She'll definitely have smarter we things to say about it than. I know. Seriously, she's going to actually. If she listens to this episode, she's probably going to be like, "Oh, it's like I maybe I should. Yeah, maybe I should not anymore. have announced her." <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, maybe, ooh, I gotta cut it. Sorry, guys. Gonna, you're gonna, you're cut. you cut. Um, that's all. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. 
as soon as you can. We have we now have a Patreon. We do. So links to that. It's $3 a month. You get an extra episode and a short essay every month by George Mad Dog Fragopolis. That, that is, what, would your, what would your nickname be? That is my official... Uh, actually, that's actually my, my Christian Greek name. Mad George Mad Dog Fragopolis. Mad Dog, yeah. Mad Dog. Yeah. It's Greek for Mad Dog. Yeah, um, yeah so we're going we're gonna, to... You, you give us three bucks a month, you get some extra stuff. It's going to be great. We're very excited. We've been talking about doing this for a long, long time. So we finally did do it. Uh, that's it. Anything else? No, that's it. I'll definitely be writing something about Kurosawa, though, for the Patreon. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, it makes, it makes sense. <laughs> Checks out. I mean, we're doing Checks it. Checks out in terms of what we're talking about. Yeah, we can do one about him, and then we'll do one about Michael Bay. Yeah. Well, the Michael Bay essay is the, really long. It's about 30,000 words right now. It's actually more of a... It's turning yeah, you've into been a working book. on it. It's kind of turning when into did a you, book. What's it called? Uh, uh, I'm, uh, shades of Bay? Sh- no, Shades of Bay. Fifty Shades of Bay. Um, Fifty Shades of Bay. That's about our friendship. Yeah. Um, what... Yeah, I was going to ask you to make up an academic name for a book about Michael Bay. But I'll definitely I think of already... one. And I'll, yeah, I'll please do for you, the yeah. next episode. I'm Liam Billingham. <laughs> I'm George Fragopoulos. This was Oeuvre Busters Deep Dives by Dialectical Dudes. Hang ten, bros. Pa- <laughs> nice, brah. Drive the barrel, bro. Da, brah. Yeah, brah.